Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amrit Alawalia is joined by Jill Pippin, the Dean of Extended Learning at the State University of New York, Oswego. Recorded live at the UPSIA conference, the two discuss the challenges that stem from the lack of clear definition, or even a consistent name, for continuing and professional education, and reflect on how the work CE units do can be transformational in shaping higher education's future. Jill, thank you so much for joining us on the Illumination Podcast. Great to have you on. I am really excited to be here. A little nervous, too. Yeah, well. <laughs> we're, uh, we're live. We're at uh, the UPSIA conference here in Orlando. Um, now, we're going to be talking a little bit about nomenclature, a little bit about, I mean, not to give too much away, but the foundational silliness of defining things by what it's not. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, I mean, you've been here for a day and a half now. Anything that really jumped out at you? Anything you're excited about? Like, how's the conference been for you so far? Conference has been wonderful. I mean, the amount of people that are here mm-hmm. in person is amazing. Also, uh, I can't remember the opening remarks, who said it, but your, that membership has increased so, so huge yeah. in this organization. is really evident, I think, by the types of people that are here, which I think we'll, we'll get into in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been really a wonderful experience. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it is exciting. It's exciting to see how much the continuing ed space has grown. I mean, the, mm-hmm. when we launched the Evolution 10 years ago, it was still, it was starting to come into its own, but it was still quiet. No one really understood it. Arguably, we still have some similar issues now, but I think there's there's a broader recognition of kind of the strategy that, that lies behind a lot of this work, where previously it was really misunderstood. I think so, too. I, I think, you know, the, the roots of all of this is continuing education. And mm-hmm. um, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, and I mean, let's let's get into that, because that's, you know, kind of exactly the, the issue we're, we're trying to address. And it's interesting, if I think about, you know, we, we released our State of Continuing Education report this week. Um, there's more pressure than ever on, on our kinds of, on our divisions to, you know, drive revenue for the institution, drive enrollment growth for the institution, to uh, support innovation, support relevance, support scale and growth. At the same time, we really lack resources, we lack recognition. What is, how important is the the, mis- the the nomenclature challenge to yeah. some of those obstacles that we face. It's huge because what happens at our institutions is no one understands us. Mm-hmm. No one, and therefore they don't see the entire potential or the value of what we do. And so it's been the continued thing that everyone says year after year is that you have to continue to explain what you do to your leadership chain and in order to, to get their attention and receive those resources and commitment mm-hmm. in order to do a good job at it. Generally speaking, how do you go about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> what's what's your playbook for this? My my um, my experience has benefited from being at institutions who already valued continuing education or what we did, mm-hmm. what we were doing. Uh, but uh, I'm faced with a new president coming in, right? And so what I've seen with my colleagues at other institutions and at, at conferences like these, the people who are no longer there. Um, that a lot of times when a new regime comes in, if, if a president comes in and doesn't understand and value what a continuing ed type of unit is mm-hmm. and what it can bring to an institution, that's one of the first things they seem to cut. Yeah. And so I've watched some of my friends lose completely thriving um, CE units because of they think they're going to save some money, right. not realizing the opportunity cost, what they just gave up. 
right. the history, the connections already in the community. Yeah. They don't see the partnerships. They don't see they don't see all of that. So um, so much rides on I think a really good definition of what it is and a consistent one because yeah. we're evolving and. Um, I just think it's really hard for people to to grapple with that. And I have a great example, if you don't mind me Yeah, t- let's dive in. So um, I started thinking about this, and I know I've seen you over the last couple of years, and <laughs> I've, I've, I've posed this question to you on webinars and in person alike, <laughs> probably to your chagrin. But uh, honestly, I've been asked by my provost, mm-hmm. who was asked by the president a couple of years ago, why is that unit named the Division of Extended Learning? Yeah. Shouldn't there be online in there? Shouldn't there be something else in there? And then I was asked to go off and see what other people are being named, Mm -hmm. to come back with a proposal. This happened multiple times. Because every time I came back, I said, no, I think extended learning is is what it is. And, And I actually went through a somewhat informed approach because the good folks at Upsia gave me their membership, not with names or contact information, but... I just wanted schools and the titles yeah. and the divisions mm-hmm. because I wanted to see what they were named. Yeah. And so I, I got that. There was a list of 118 <laughs> given to me. They, they poured it to me. <laughs> and mostly what they had is extended learning or continuing education. In fact, if you added professional to that, that was by far what most of the units were named. Yep. Only 15 at that time had online in the unit. Interesting. And sorry, when was this? This was the, in 2019. 2019. I asked for it around okay. January of maybe, or December of 19, January of 20. Got it. So it was right after, I think, UPCEA changed to be, to say PCO. Maybe it was yeah. just before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right on the cusp of that. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I did is I came back and I said, no, no, I think extended learning is a really good one. Maybe we add in innovation. Maybe we live, add in collaboration. My provost said, no, that's not a good idea because... Other people around the campus do that, too. So he didn't want to isolate it. So he asked me to go back out and look at it again. So um, I was really, really curious. And then the more I looked and saw all this, all these different names, I mean, extended education, outreach and extension, regional and continuing education, continuing studies. Okay, those are kind of common. Mm -hmm. Then you get into global and continuing ed, extended and international ed, online and graduate and continuing ed. So... We're a lot of ants. Yep. And, 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 yep. and, and. Uh, but maybe not this. So sometimes it's about what's not in the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I started noticing as I've been at this conference, so I wrote down a couple of the, the different titles or units that I, I've heard. Mm-hmm. I've heard integrated studies, online and innovative programs, online learning, online education and collaborative academic programs. I like that one. That's a big one. Strategic initiatives and diversity of digital transformation. So we're seeing huh. a lot less about continuing education. Yeah. As we go. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I guess as you got into that second set of names, you're you're starting to highlight that it's almost it's the transformative piece of of the institution. And mm-hmm. what I struggle with when we talk about naming conventions, and one of the reasons that you know you and I first spoke about this, and we'll give a shout out to our C A A N Y colleagues right. in in uh, New York. Um, we chatted about this in in Saratoga uh, at that conference, and it's it's stuck in my head for what has to be five months now because <laughs> for the life of me, I also can't come up with a reasonable. As we were writing the State of Continuing Education report, we were trying to even come up with a, a terminology that we'd be comfortable with and never really landed on anything we liked. 
You know, it's the million dollar question. Yeah, I mean, literally. <laughs> really, because yeah. um, what are we? And, and so I want to bring this to where we are right now, the University Professional Continuing Education Association, mm-hmm. UPSEA. Mm-hmm. has continuing ed in the name. Yep. Continuing Education Association of New York, CEANY, yep. has it in the name. Yep. The problem we were finding, because I'm a past president of CEANY, just so you know, um, a couple of years even prior to my um, provost asking me about this, is we were thinking about membership. Well, who at each of the SUNY institutions, because it's a SUNY right. and a CUNY group, yep. um, should we ask or invite to join us? And the problem is you don't have an office of continuing ed anymore. Right. So you have no idea who even to reach out to. And right. so since then, I'm no longer president of CEANY. I convened the SUNY uh, deans and directors of continuing education. That's the old name. Not one of us has that title. And so we crowdsource by saying, maybe somebody else at your institution does, you know, you might only do, I don't know, micro-credentials. Mm-hmm. But this other person over here might do online learning. Yep. And, you know. And so we have this really, it's a constant struggle to get the right people around the table once they're there. Yep. Um, I just saw somebody who was on one of the groups. Um, he's now moved on to a different institution, but he just said that those were some of the, the best conversations because I was finally with people who knew and operated yeah. the way I did in the professional education yes. landscape. And so um, it's very beneficial for us all to come together. But if we don't know what continuing education means, then... How do they know to join? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you also have the challenge of folks who, you know, we'd broadly say, that's continuing ed. It walks like a duck and it talks like a duck and it looks like a duck. It's, it's probably a duck. You know, mm-hmm. that's probably continuing ed. But if you don't define yourselves as continuing ed, it becomes very difficult to say, well, I probably belong at the Continuing mm-hmm. Ed Association. It's so and true. It's, it's, it's challenging to define you know, the right kinds of units. It's not just non-credit. It's not just online. It's not just professional. It's not just community. Uh, it's not just international. It's not just and workforce development. That's it's just, just it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating challenge because when we talk about what does the future of higher ed look like, it's always aspects of those ingredients, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's student-centric. It's uh, outcome-oriented. It's focused around transformation and change. It's responsive to the labor market. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's foundationally all these things that mm-hmm. we'd consider the, the DNA of, of continuing ed. I would say, too, the other thing that is foundational is where I started to go is non-traditional or adult yep. learning, the old lifelong learning. Yep. You know, the one that you kind of cringe a little bit when you say, and then you, I, I yeah. find myself wondering, is it making a comeback, that, uh, that term? We're, tr- so, we're trying our best. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, it is... So, so you start saying, okay, well, this is who we serve. Yep. Well, but then you talk about the entire dynamics of all of our students at our institutions. And by definition, they're mostly all tra- not yeah. traditional. No, many exactly. Of them are. In so, 2002, which is, I think, the last time this was actually a reported statistic, it was 74%. And crazy. that's, you know, it, there's set, there are the seven factors that define non-traditional, and that's great. But, you know, I, I might put an eighth factor, which is, you know, do you think of yourself as a consumer? Mm-hmm. And arguably, every single 17-year-old has grown up with Netflix, grown up with Amazon, grown up with Uber. Mm-hmm. Every single 17-year-old looking at higher education right now is a consumer. Yeah. So their expectations are more aligned with what, you know, 10 years ago we would have thought of as the expectations of an adult. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of fascinating as you look at, you know, what's the institution of the future? And it, it's really starting to bring in those pieces that we used to think of as very specific to continuing ed. Yeah, and you know... One of the things I'm pondering right now is, um, is it the mission of our institutions to serve this population? Mm-hmm. I say yes, yeah. wholeheartedly. 
Um, but yet, what, what do we hear most of our institutions? I know many of them here are enlightened and they have these wonderful um, innovative titles and units, but some of them, a lot of them aren't. And um, they talk about, I'm a, you know, we're a residential campus or we're right. all about the traditional student. And so it's really hard for people to understand the value and, and really even what we're going to need to do in order to survive in the upcoming demographic cliff yep. where we have less and less of what we would call traditional age students. Yep. And Ray Schroeder actually wrote a great piece on this. It's, um, where you know we have the first demographic cliff coming up in 2025, and that was based on the recession that we experienced in call it like 2006 to yeah. 2008, and we have a second recession, uh, a second enrollment cliff, a second demographic cliff that'll come up about I don't know, call it 12 years later, yep. because of you know the the pandemic that yes. we're coming out of now, and it's you know when we've talked when we talk about the impact of two once in a lifetime experiences mm -hmm. within 20 years. We tend to think of it purely in, in terms of the people who are living through it, but this, it becomes very relevant to how they behave, how their actions changed, and, and we do have a significant, a significant population change that's going to be coming right around the bend. Mm -hmm. The question is, how are we setting ourselves up for it? And, you exactly. know, arguably right now, we, you know, as we went through the pandemic, you, I think you were in my session, this is one of the stats that I, I look at most closely, was if we know that enrollment is, is counter-cyclical to uh, employment, right? Generally speaking, employment rates, uh, you know, as more folks are out of jobs, more folks enroll in higher ed. It's, mm -hmm. it's a historical established trend. And instead, we saw a million fewer students uh, enroll in degree programs today than there were in right before the, the pandemic in well, 2019. My theory is this, are we designing things in which people who are working can access and mm -hmm. be successful in pursuing education? Because I don't know that that's a real accurate stat. I think no. it, it's unmeasurable how many people may have or would have pursued higher education had they had the opportunity to take a program designed that they For could them. fit into exactly. their lives. Well, and we also have, I mean, just a foundational problem for in continuing education, which is that we have no idea how many people we serve. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, and I'm not, I'm not being, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to be glib, but mm -hmm. one of the things that really struck me in, in our 2022 report was 46% of people who couldn't tell us their enrollment numbers from last year. Mm -hmm. right, we have 35 or 36% of people who said that they, they don't have access to real-time enrollment data. And you kind of look at that and think, well, how is it possible for us to do all those grand things that we're mm -hmm. supposed to be doing if we lack business intelligence that's as simple as how many widgets did we sell? Which requires the institution to invest in it, this right? Is it. I mean, there are these wonderful vendors here who have all these great, wonderful programs mm -hmm. that, I say programs because I'm thinking computer programs, sure. but um, enrollment programs. but. You know, you have to have the institutional commitment and understanding and value of what you do, what you bring, in order to even count the numbers. Yep. Um, in New York State, I happen to know that they're, we're working SUNY and CUNY and, and uh, the NIATEP, the, so the labor area, and, and uh, I think even a congressperson to try and come up with common definitions. Because mm -hmm. within our, just those two groups, SUNY and CUNY, we don't have common definitions. No. And it's, it's very difficult to be able to do that and really, really kind of measure thin impact. Absolutely. So... I mean, I, I struggle with, and I, I apologize to those of you who are listening who are waiting for the, a grand conclusion. <laughs> so I, I feel it's important for you to know the reason Jill agreed to, to do this episode <laughs> is because I promised her we wouldn't have to have one. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think there is a solution. Um, you know, for, for those of you who, who've stuck with us through this conversation, and I'm sure many of you as you're listening are sitting there, you're nodding along, you're saying, oh, I can't wait to find out the answer. The fact of the matter is that this is a call to action. 
it you know, sure is. we have we have so much work that we as an industry need to do because, you know, that it's up it's up to us really to to determine how we want to define ourselves and where we want to go. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and I I would say it's also an imperative for um, this this industry to really come back to to what does continuing education mean? Does mm-hmm. it still apply? Can it still apply? Yes. Absolutely. Well, Jill, I, I so appreciate you taking time out of your conference. And, and you know, but again, for those of you who, who aren't aware, so Disney this year is at, uh, at uh, Disney, or rather, Upsia this year is at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort, which is it's a gorgeous facility. We are surrounded by pools. The sun is out. Um, you know, as, as many of you know, I'm, I'm based in southwestern Ontario and Jill's in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So, I so appreciate you taking time out of the sunshine to sit down with me and chat. Well, I'm a very good conference attendee, but yes, tonight (laughs) I'm going to be outside. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.